You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 157 of the Tech Sideline podcast originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, we break down what happened on Monday night inside of Castle Coliseum as Penn State beat number 15 Virginia Tech 75-55 to in men's basketball. Hokie suffered its first loss of the season. And we'll spend the majority of our time previewing the Commonwealth Clash that'll take place on Saturday between Virginia and Virginia Tech. Episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, folks, that's nearly 10 different ways you can consume the Tech Sideline Podcast. So glad you could join us today as we record on Thursday afternoon, December 10th. Our crew, as always, we have our managing editor, Chris Coleman, to my left. Across from me, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. We were talking about it in between the open. Yes, he is the best podcast producer in the land, as Will shakes his head about his son. <laughs> he is Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. For those that are watching live on YouTube, we thank you for being with us. Please be sure to hit the like and subscribe button, and if you have a question for Will or Chris, basketball or football related, go ahead and throw it in the chat now, and we will get to them at the end of the show. Campus Emporium is proud to sponsor the TSL community. A portion of every sale is returned to Virginia Tech in support of its endowment for excellence, student programming, and need-based scholarships. We have been serving the Virginia Tech community for over 25 years from our locations in Blacksburg and our online store. Please visit the number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise at campusemporium.com or come see us at 207 North Main Street, or 1337 South Main Street. The Tech Sideline Podcast is also presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com today to find out how you can support Virginia Tech Wrestling. They get their season started in a little under a month. Gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. We've got so much planned for the podcast today. We're going to talk a little hoops. We're going to talk a lot about the Who's and the Hokies. Chris Coleman, it's crossover season, so how are you holding up? Not so good this week. <laughs> Hanging in there. It's been a rough one. Not, not been fun. <laughs> Will, how how are you? This is it's a big week. I'm tired, man. It's the end of football season. And I'm I'm all worn out, and football season's actually going longer than usual. Well, we have a great show planned for today. Excited to talk a little bit of hoops at the beginning, and then we will spend the majority of our time previewing Virginia Tech and Virginia. So on Monday. We got to start with some hokey hoops because Virginia Tech ranked 15th in the country 
went into the ACC Big Ten Challenge against Penn State, a team they have seen often in the ACC Big Ten Challenge over the last couple of years. And the Nittany Lions handed Virginia Tech its first loss of the season. Hokies fell behind 17 to nothing to start the game. No, Tech seven. made a three-pointer. Tech, uh, Tech was up 17, or Tech was up three to three nothing. Three to nothing. Wabisa well, Beatty. Well, was, bleh, I can't talk today. Wabisa well, Beatty started and ended the game with a three-pointer. Oh, gosh. Yep. That's why he's the expert. My apologies, folks. Hokies turned the ball over 14 times and made just six threes. Chris, let me start with you. 75-55 the final score. How concerned are you after the 20-point loss? I'm no more concerned than I was elated after the Villanova, the Villanova win. Yeah. But like, well, I mean, I was happy Tech beat Villanova, but like, just because Tech beat Villanova doesn't mean there's some sort of Sweet 16 Elite 8 team. And likewise, losing to Penn State doesn't mean that they're not because they lost to Penn State two years ago. A much worse Penn State team, by the way, mm-hmm. two years ago. That team went 14 and 18. This is a much better Penn State team than that. You know, they still made the Sweet 16 when they lost to that Penn State team. Uh, I didn't like it, though, because it's Penn State, man. I just I'm hate just losing to Penn State in basketball. Chris said it on Monday. He really like, wanted oh this my. game. Uh, it was Honestly, it was demoralizing. So, so well, my wife and, is a Penn State grad, mid, mid-80s. Shouldn't care about Penn State basketball. Nobody from that era cares about Penn State. But nobody from it's, this era cares about Penn State it's, basketball. It's, she actually apologized after the game. She's like, I'm sorry. Because Penn State beat Virginia Tech. Uh, so, to me, the game was about two different things. Uh, number one, you know, Mike, Penn State plays a very physical brand of basketball, as the entire Big Ten does, basically. Yeah. Mike Young said on Tech Talk Live on Monday night. Before the game. Before the game, he said he said something like, they're going to foul us about 150 times, and the refs are going to call 20 of them. So we got to be strong with the ball and ready for that. So he warned the team exactly what they were getting into from a phys- physicality standpoint. Apparently the team did not believe him, and they found out the hard way. Um, so that's point number one. Point number two is Mike Young's – I'm not, no basketball X's and O's guru, so please don't ask me to go, go into detail on this, anybody. But Mike Young's offensive system is very, very complicated. Um, I'll, I'll liken it to – the RPO game in football. Like on any on any given play, a quarterback could have three different options. He could hand it off to the running back, he could keep it himself, or he could throw that slant to the wide receiver, you know, depending on what the defensive end does, depending on what the linebacker does and all that. Mike Young's offense is kind of the same way. Like any given play can branch into several different things depending on how the defense plays you depending on how they guard ball screens and things like that it's very very complicated and it's not something that gets picked up right away well virginia tech although this is the issue with taking so many transfers right right like cartier jada i've actually heard he hates being called cartier he they prefers cardi so i'll call him cardi cardi jada cardi jada it's almost like he has to unlearn everything he learned three years at Kansas State to play in this system, right? Um, same thing for Pimsel and and guys like that. Um, and even Tech's most experienced player in this system is Aluma, of course. But then even their second most experienced players are just in their second year right. in, in the system. So Mike Young hire is a long-term hire. 
and we will hit our peak of efficiency when we have lots of players on the team with multiple years of experience in the system. And so we're not there yet, and we're not going to be. There's going to be some ugly games like that this year. Uh, there will be some more good games, too. And I'm not saying Tech's not going to go to the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they are or not. We'll find out. It's, I mean, shoot, at this point, like, why are we even bringing the subject matter up? Right. We don't even know if Virginia Tech's going to play Clemson or not, for goodness sake. You, you never know who's going to get COVID for either team, right? Uh, I mean, all these programs are getting, a bunch of programs are getting shut down. See, it's funny because, because the basketball team hadn't been affected yet and the football team hadn't been affected in weeks, maybe a couple of months. Right. Yeah. So in our little bubble, we've kind of forgotten that it's a thing, right. you know, and yet football games all over the place are being well, postponed and canceled. Basketball games are being I'm, postponed I'm and canceled. I'm telling you, at some point this year, you're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to check the news, and you're going to see that the Virginia Tech basketball game is canceled. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's going to be because of Virginia Tech positive cases or the other team's positive cases or or what, yeah. it's, but it's going to happen. So. Pardon me if I'm not like looking off way into the distant future about NCAA tournaments or, or or whatever. I mean, and what is even gonna happen in the NCAA tournament? When you get to when you get to the NCAA tournament and let's say let's say Virginia Tech goes to the NCAA tournament and they make the second round and they're about to play and everybody does their testing and and tech's got too many positives and they have to shut down. Well, you can't pause the whole NCAA tournament for a week to 10 days, right? Interesting stuff. I'm... So does Tech have to forfeit? I mean, it would seem in a tournament situation, it would seem like that's the only possible solution, right? So just I'm just going to take it one at a time. One game at a time. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Penn State game, Will, uh, Nittany Lions made 12 threes. Isaiah Brockington dropped 24 points. Did you feel like Penn State played really well? Or Virginia Tech played poorly. I put it on Virginia Tech. Um, I think uh, I think if the Hokies had been more aggressive from the beginning, and I don't even know what I mean by that. I just know that Seth Greenberg used to say, um, you know, Virginia Tech would go out and they'd lose a basketball game, and and Seth after the game would say, "We just weren't strong with the ball." Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "What the hell is he talking about? Really, Seth? Come on, give me some X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Don't give me that." But I'm I'm a convert. You have to be aggressive. You have to your passes have to be sharp. Your movement has to be sharp. That's what Seth was saying was you gotta be you gotta be in your groove and moving the ball and, and, and pushing hard and the Hokies just didn't do that. You have to maintain maintain control of the basketball through contact. Right? I know, you know, and not you know, don't don't be moving away from the pass as it's coming to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Place all like that. all that sort of stuff. And, and if Virginia Tech had started the game more aggressive and stronger with the ball and just had that old thing of they punched us in the mouth and we didn't punch back, if Virginia Tech had punched back, I think this would have been a different game. You know, this stuff this stuff runs on emotion and, and players get in a groove. And, and Virginia Tech made it easy for Penn State to get in that groove. If you look at that game, a lot of Penn State shots were just – they were wide open. They were in rhythm. You oh, know? They shot really well. Yeah, really, everybody's really well. talking about Virginia Tech's offense and how it struggled, but the defense struggled too. Struggled mm-hmm. a lot to to defend the ball, to defend the paint. You know, Penn State was going in and dishing out and getting open threes. And I, I think if you just play a better game, they're not in that kind of rhythm. Uh, you know, now Virginia Tech 
three home games have been their three worst games. Yeah. And their two best games have been on neutral courts. Yeah. Duke got bombed by Illinois at home the other night, right? Uh, that game was at Duke, right? Correct. Uh, they lost to Michigan State at home as so, well. Y- right. So I, I just, I don't know. I think maybe teams with that have good home court atmospheres maybe you're going to struggle some at home this year. Uh, I just I For some possible. reason, and maybe this is just my own personal bias and there's really no reason for it, I actually think that's a bigger factor in basketball than it, I have it, in football. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Um, yeah, I definitely think basketball is just very intimate. Yeah, it's so – people are so right yeah, on top yeah. of it. Yeah. How about – speaking of Duke, how about Coach K? Got, okay, got, so what's going on He got busted hard on Twitter the other day. Somebody pulled up a headline from the spring or summer and where Coach K was like, we absolutely have to play the NCAA tournament this year. We can't afford to miss two NCAA tournaments in a row. And now that they're, you know, losing and getting bombed at home, he comes out right after the game and says, I, just, I don't think we should be playing right now because of COVID, right? <laughs> <laughs> I bet he doesn't make that statement if they had won the game by 20. You know, I've, I, have a, I have a belief that at some point in time, we are all hypocrites. Absolutely. We, we yeah. all contradict ourselves. And, you know, when you're called out on it, it's, it's kind of uh, – Kind of embarrassing. It's, you know? it's, I think it's why some people, they just don't communicate much. The more you say, <laughs> the more you say, the more likely you are to say something stupid. Right? <laughs> I know. It's, so, uh, you know. Julie noted as somebody who likes to talk a lot. <laughs> uh, we're recapping Penn State <laughs> Take 75. Take that with you as you go through your career. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Penn State uh, 75-55 win over number 15 Virginia Tech on Tuesday. Final thought before we transition to talk about football. Hokies struggled to shoot the three ball against VMI last week. Hokies had to, uh, you know, it was a competitive second half. They pulled away in the end to beat VMI. They shoot six of 22 from deep in the loss to Penn State. They, over the last two games, they are 10 of 49. If the Hokies don't make threes, what's the ceiling of this team? And are they a team still, even though with added depth, are they a team that lives and dies by the three they ball? Sh- well, you said the last two games they're 10 last of 49. two games, 10 of 49. Well, they shouldn't be averaging 25 three-point attempts per game. Yeah, they were 4 it, of 27 it, and 6 it, of 22. So, to me, that, that – that, They're not even that, initiating the offense. To me, that screams we're really having trouble running the offense. Right. Like, we can't – we're, we're – so, I, I don't think that's an ideal number of – that was an ideal number of three-point attempts last year. I'm not Tech sure Mike Young no was even running his offense last year. He just, you know, no, no, he was running certain pieces, doing something of it, different. But, but yeah. yeah, the parts of it that required anybody taller than six six, he couldn't run. <laughs> I just, <laughs> and, and as he has said, he said, "I don't like playing that way." Yeah, yeah. So he went out and got a bunch of tall guys for his roster. Right, right. So and so, there's lots of pieces of the offense that are just getting implemented this year because they couldn't be implemented last year because Tech didn't have any size. Yeah. Long-term process. Last year was year zero. This is year one. Kind of the way to look at it. I'll add a quick final thought. No John Ogiaco on Tuesday to an injury. He has yet to appear this year. End of, uh, end Mike of December? Young, I'd always heard that it was his hamstring, but apparently it was his knee. knee yeah. He had, uh, had a little arthroscopic Meniscus. surgery. And they, Mike Young is hopeful they'll have him back by the Miami game. Okay. So is, is he someone you could see? We, we talked about in previous podcasts how much depth Virginia Tech has this year. What kind of role do you see Ojiaco playing on I, this team? I don't know. It's it's going to be tough to come in right in the middle of the ACC schedule um, when you've missed so much time, uh, especially when there's you've already got two players who can play the five. Um, and I just don't see his return that, making a lot of difference right, right. in this team. 
I, I think, I mean, having 13 scholarship players is great because it gives you a lot of lineup options and everything, but it doesn't mean you need to be playing 13 guys because that's going to, that's going to mess up your rotation. Would you rather play, have, I mean, you, you, do you really want, do you really want to take Kevi Aluma out of the game? Just for the sake of getting Ojiako five or ten minutes, right? He Aluma right. is a thirty-minute-a-night game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and Aluma can play the four, and Ojiako can play the five. You know, whatever. Yes, I do think he'll have a role to a certain extent, maybe in some matchups. Probably more so against a Florida State than <laughs> than, than 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 some other teams on the roster. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's it's a different problem for Virginia Tech basketball. Yeah. The old problem was we didn't have enough players at all, and there's not so there's no such thing as too many players, but if you do make the mistake of trying to make your rotation too big, you know it does hurt cohesiveness. I've always said like give me like eight to nine guys as part of a regular rotation. Yeah, um, you you don't remember? Uh, I don't think you were even born when uh, Arkansas was doing forty minutes of hell uh, back in back in the early nineties. Man, I, that was I said, Richardson, right? I Nolan Richardson. I couldn't remember his name. I could see him in my mind. Couldn't remember his name. Um, they pretty much needed thirteen guys, and UNLV sort of needed them back then too. But yeah, yeah, yeah that that's rare. Yeah, that 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 is rare. Um, uh, first instance of the term red shirt in today's podcast. But in a normal year, you'd redshirt Ojiako. Yeah, because there's just there's I don't think there's going to be enough minutes to justify not redshirting him, but. Mm. It, you don't have to redshirt anybody this year. So. so the Hokies men's basketball team off the rest of the week. They begin ACC play on Tuesday at home against Clemson. Virginia Tech is home until January 2nd against UVA. So Yeah, I was actually looking at the schedule on TSL, and I was like, did I make a mistake here? It's like, it's, did I forget to put the at sign in the schedule? Because it's something like four, five, six home games in a row. Yeah, the schedule for the rest of the 2020 slate of the season for Virginia Tech. They'll be home against Clemson on Tuesday, December 15th, host Coppin State December 19th, Longwood December 21st, and then Miami December 29th in Blacksburg before going to Charlottesville January 2nd to take on UVA. Based so on the, the early evidence, that seems somewhat unfortunate. Well, in, in, an, in an ordinary year, we'd be complaining about all the home games while the students were, <laughs> no, were, while the students you know, were gone. Yeah, it's not a factor this year. So for those that regularly listen and watch the Tech Outline podcast, typically we take a break at about the 40 or 50 minute mark, but we're going to go ahead and take our break right now here on episode 157 of the Tech Sideline podcast, because when we come back, we spend the remainder of the podcast previewing Virginia and Virginia Tech, the Commonwealth Cup on the line this weekend in Blacksburg. Don't go anywhere. You're listening and watching episode 157 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Welcome back in episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Great to have you with us. Evan Hughes alongside of Chris Coleman, Will Stewart behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. Tech Sideline Podcast presented by Campus Emporium. Will Stewart has a featured item he is Today's wearing. featured item. And it's a very comfortable looking jacket. You it want to is, describe it, it for our listeners, Will? It is very warm, so I'm going to read you the description. First of all, it's a Virginia Tech Navigator jacket by Charles River. Um, the last featured item we had was was a very similar jacket, which had a hoodie, which we have given to 
Evan for Christmas. That was his Christmas present. Thank you guys. Very nice. He was, he was eyeballing it going, man, I like that thing. I like that. He's thing. secretly mad. You didn't get him a spurtle. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, Christmas <laughs> isn't here yet. Yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't know what's in those boxes on the floor. <laughs> right. I don't even know what a spurtle is for the record. So this is wind and water resistant river bank Tasland nylon. There you go. There's a mouthful. With anti-pill summit fleece lining. I can tell you the lining is nice fleece. So let's see. You got stand-up collar with the wind flap, zippered pockets, and an inside valuables pocket, which I think might hold your cell phone. Elasticized cuffs. And here is the money quote. Weather rated to 16 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, very important. Very important. Blacksburg. You can walk across the drill field in this jacket. Now, I'm not going to keep it on because it's going to put me to sleep with <laughs> by making me warm if I keep it on, but I can vouch. Very nice. So that is from Campus Emporium, $79.99. Good price for an awesome jacket. So we'll put the link down in the uh, video description. And the other thing I want to say about Campus Emporium is, remember, free shipping on orders over $12 up through the 13th. I was in there today talking to them. And, and later on, they will post a guide for if you want it by such and such a date, order it. Uh, get it shipped this way on such and such a date. They're really good about that. But they told me, tell people to order now because so many people are shopping online this year. They're not going out. Oh, yeah, I bet. And so UPS and FedEx say they're going to keep certain schedules, but they're going to struggle to keep those schedules. So hit campusemporium.com and uh, thank you for the time and let's move on. The number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise. You can also see them at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. All right, we transition from the hardwood to the gridiron where we are going to spend the majority of our time today talking about Virginia and Virginia Tech, the Commonwealth Cup on the line this Saturday in Blacksburg. Virginia has won four games in a row. The Hokies, meanwhile, are looking for their first win since Louisville on Halloween. Um, Chris, there's so many stories, I feel like, going into this game. Uh, Virginia Tech hasn't lost five games in a row since 1992. Uh, Virginia has a chance to end the season winning five games in a row. What is the biggest storyline going into this game on either side? I mean, the biggest storyline is Fuente, but yeah, but you know, we're not going to. D- David Teal's column today talks about right. Justin Fuente's uncertain future. But you know, we're not going to talk about that today because we don't have anything new to add. Right. Like yeah. I have no new opinions that I haven't already shared. Right. So, like, that's not a horse we're going to sit around and beat all day. It is the biggest storyline. Now, my opinion is that whatever happens in this game is not going to have an effect on whether I think, he's I think we, were asked, we were asked that question on Monday. Will this game affect his right, future? Right. No, it won't. No. It's going to come down to buyout. It's going to come down to who Whit Babcock thinks he could get to replace him, things like that. Yeah. So, like, we don't have anything new, at, new to add there. So, besides that, I would say the biggest storyline is that for the first time since the 2004 game, Virginia Tech is the hunter and UVA is the hunted. Uh, the fan base, they're, 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 you don't know what it's like to lose to UVA. Well, you didn't until last year. I don't so remember you, 2004. So, so. You, so you don't know what it's like going into a game trying to get the cup back. Or just like UVA's players and you know some UVA young UVA fans don't know what it's like to defend the cup, right? right? And the players and the coaches on both teams, it's the shoe is on the other foot for the first time in forever. I wasn't old enough to buy a beer the last time, you know, uh, UVA beat Tech, right? It's true, you were. Uh, so yeah, so uh, to me that's how does each program handle that? 
Um, obviously, Jared Hewitt revealed in player interviews this week that on Sunday or Monday, Fuente showed them a bunch of plays from last year's Tech UVA game where he felt that the UVA players just played harder than the Virginia Tech players. So Fuente is challenging their manhood and their pride. And, you know, the right type of personality will respond well to that. Uh, games are still about X's and O's. They're not all about emotion. but So you're gonna, Tech is going to have to execute. But, you know, there shouldn't be any cases this year after getting called out like that where Tech gets outworked in any given play, right? Yeah, so uh, you go back to my freshman year, 1983. Uh, Virginia Tech beat UVA 48 to nothing. In Scott Stadium, Sheesh. and I and I don't remember exactly what the uh, rivalry was doing at the time. It had been back and forth in the early to mid seventies, and by then, uh, under Bill Dooley, who arrived at Tech in I believe nineteen seventy seven, Virginia Tech had seized control of the rivalry. I think they'd won four in a row or five in a row or something like what that. What year was this from Welsh's tenure at UVA? So I'm going to get to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that the forty-eight nothing Welsh was already there. Uh-huh. So, so Tech had, had really taken control of the rivalry, and then my sophomore year, UVA came into Lane Stadium and uh, and beat Tech twenty-six twenty-three, and that game included, I believe, UVA on fourth and ten from like Virginia Tech's twenty or thirty-yard line, going going for the the jugular and throwing down to the goal line, and a receiver named John Ford made a fingertip catch to make a big touchdown for UVA, and UVA beat Tech 26-23 in Lane Stadium. So somebody in 1984 threw the ball on 4th and 10. Now the, That's crazy. What's interesting about that is, and, and, and I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, the, the distance and the yard line, but you fast forward to the 1990 game, and Virginia Tech did something similar. I think they had 4th and 1 on about the 30-yard line or something like that. And they threw to the end zone to Nick Cullen and got a touchdown. So it was neat, neat little bookends. But the reason I tell that story is when you look at that 1984 game, Virginia Tech was the better program. But I remember thinking at that point in time, uh-oh. And I think it was right about then. I, I think 1984 might have been the first time UVA went to a bowl in a long time. I think they played Purdue. Um, anybody can correct me if they want to. Um, I, I didn't review it. I just started talking about it. But that was a moment in time where things turned and UVA started to take control of the rivalry. I think Tech won in maybe 85, 86. Then Tech went on probation and UVA started getting some top recruits in state and around the country and went on a big run. And that's why the 1990 win was such a big deal it came in the middle of a six-game stretch where Tech lost the other five games. But the point I'm making is that um, if you look at this game, yeah, UVA won last year, but what if they win again this year? That'll be two in a row. Bronco will have at least temporarily gotten control of the rivalry. Um, and so that's kind of, that's that to me is one of the big storylines about this. Um, and, and what if Justin Fuente is not even here next year, you know? It, it'll almost be similar to the 80s in which in which Dooley exited stage left and saddled with probation, Frank struggled to beat UVA. Well, what if Bronco has his program moving in the right direction and Virginia Tech has to make a coaching change or something like that? 
So that's kind of the way I look at it. What do you? I'm going to ask both of you this. One word to describe how you think Virginia Tech fans feel going into this game. Uh, they're very apathetic. That, that's been a lot of the conver- conversation um, recently. And uh, give you an example. Uh, my wife and I are getting ready to redo our kitchen. We go to an appliance place in Christiansburg. And these guys have, um, I won't name them, I don't want to give them free advertising, mm-hmm. but they've got Virginia Tech football signed photographs framed all over the walls of their showroom. And they're all from the mid-2000s. Pictures of Cedric Humes and Jimmy Williams and Brandon Flowers and guys like that. And so we're, we're talking to the salesman, and he just proceeds to tell me, he's like, yeah, that, that, that last game, I didn't really watch that one. You know, I just kind of walked through the room to see what the score was. And that's the point that a lot of Tech fans are reaching right now. I don't have the numbers. I don't know what percentages is. I don't know if it's 80% or 8%. I just know that people are starting to say that kind of stuff on our message boards. I'm starting to see people out in public and they're just kind of like, meh, yeah, yeah. You know, I still look at the score, but I DVR it and look at it later. I don't really watch it live. So apathetic. Malaise. That old <laughs> word, right? Yeah. You ask yourself this question sometimes, like, obviously, this is our job. We watch the games. If this wasn't my job and I didn't live in Blacksburg and I was living somewhere else where maybe I wasn't surrounded by a bunch of tech fans, yeah. like, would I actually watch? Like, would I have watched? I'll, I'll watch the UVA game because I think tech can win. I don't know if I would have turned on the Clemson game. Like, if I had a completely different job and maybe I, uh, I mean. Let's, and you had I, a wife I, and kids. Right, and... right. right. I, maybe if I lived in San Diego or something, like, right. I love that city and nobody out there is a tech fan. So maybe I find something to do outdoors in the nice 75 degree weather, right? It, uh, it, it, it's hard for me to say because. Because I, I, you can't. You're not in that position. I, I graduated in 1987, and it's not like Virginia Tech was all that great in football back then. You know, they won their first bowl game, and they, their first bowl win in 1986. And and even through the rough Frank Beamer years, I was a diehard, 87, 88, 89, all the way through 92. I went to most games. And then, of course, I started Hokie Central on Tech Sideline in 1995, so I, I have no perspective no of perspective what, I, what I would actually be doing if I was just a fan on the outside. Right. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at the Virginia offense, the Virginia defense, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Virginia Tech. If the Hokies are going to win this game, Chris, mm-hmm. what do they have to do? Well, they got to have some balance. Uh, UVA is number three in the conference in, in rush defense per PFF grades. Uh, but they're still they're pretty healthily behind Clemson and Pitt and grade. And, you know, Khalil Hubbard had success against both of those teams on the ground. Yeah. So I think Virginia Tech can get some stuff going on the ground. The question is, can they be balanced? Uh, UVA is awful in coverage. I mean, just absolutely dreadful. As a team and uh, as individual right. players. Um, so can Virginia Tech's passing game get enough going where, there can, where they can be balanced? Um, so the key there, obviously, is to show the ability to run the football and don't fall behind by, like, two scores where you get to the point where UVA knows you're going to throw because Tech, Tech can't throw it in that situation. So 
um, thing, things get to be a bit of a blur for me sometimes, so you can fill in some details here. I, I was thinking, Texas lost four in a row and five out of six. And I was thinking last night, and, and it was late, and I was working on the game preview, so I didn't really get a chance to, to research it. But I found myself asking the question, what has been the nature of those losses? Right off the top of my head, the nature of those losses has been what I consider to be coaching mistakes or just things like calling the timeout right before you block the field goal, you know, against Liberty. Um, the the coach is not, maybe not capitalizing on some things. Players making mistakes. There have been a couple instances, I thought, where the team just caved. I thought they caved against uh, Pitt and against Clemson when they started turning it over. Right, right. So the conclusion I drew in my mind was now on the other hand you go to the Miami game Virginia Tech was leading 24 to 13 with 20 minutes to go and then just didn't score again and I don't remember the details of of why but to me it's just so what I put in our game preview was Virginia Tech needs a more consistent effort from all three phases of the game luck and execution player effort and coaching you know, they, they see and, – and, frankly, not caving if things start to go south on you. In some games this year, Tech has hung in there and been really tough when mm-hmm. things go south. But there have been a couple games there where they folded up their tent. Well, the two most recent games. Yes. Um, and the thing about those two games is, like, I think Pitt is a horrible matchup. Right. And Clemson just has completely superior talent. And I don't think that's the – either one of those is the case with UVA. So – I don't I'd think that's that. going to happen this yeah. week. Yeah. Um, um, it, it, they do get, you know, UVA got Joey Blunt, one of their best safeties, or their best safety by yeah. far. Uh, he's only played in like four or five games this year because he got hurt early against Clemson. But he did come back and play almost the whole game against Boston College last week. So we'll see if that has any effect. So they may on, play better than their grades is what you're it's, saying. But it's possible. Now, yeah. he's there still should be a little bit of rust there because he's only played in one game since – early October or something like that. Um, but, you know, on the whole, like, I, I look at Virginia and I see a solid, tough football team that gets the most out of their ability, but they're not world beaters at all. Not even Really close. in any phase of the game? Right, right. I've, Brennan Armstrong's very good, I think. Uh, they rush the passer pretty well. But from, like, from the linebacker position yeah, yeah. primarily. But, but like... You know, somebody on the board today, this morning, basically said, and th- this is his phrasing, but he basically said, yeah, it looks like this game is going to be one big slap fight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, honestly, I can't... Picture dis- a couple of cats I doing this. <laughs> I, I can't disagree with that, to be honest with you. Like, like, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's sad to say, but like I think I think Bronco Mendenhall's done a really good job, and I respect them because they get the most out of their talent. Um, and, and, and honestly, and, that that's that's what disappoints me the most about Tech is I don't think Tech gets the most out of their talent, like consistently. I, yeah. Consistently, like I look at UVA's defense, and you know these guys, they're linebackers that are six foot three. Well, they're two hundred thirty pounds. They're two hundred forty pounds. They're two hundred thirty five pounds. 
They're 225 pounds, whether they're not 210 pounds. I think it's Tisdale right? comments coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Have a sandwich, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, as a program, I feel like Bronco Mendenhall has done a good job of getting the most out of his players' ability. Um, the culture, regardless they, of what you think about it, seems to be consistent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Now, they still don't have the talent across the board to be better than – you know, they were good last year, but I felt... But Perkins was exceptional. Well, I think Armstrong's better. That's the thing. I think All he's right, better Evan. than Perkins. Real quick, because I do want to spend a, a lot of time talking about Armstrong. I want to get into UVA offense okay. and defense, but quickly, I so want to ask this question. Gonna, right. Because you, you, you brought up a point. You said that UVA secondary is one of the weaker spots mm-hmm. of their defense. Yeah. question is, if the Hokies are going to attack that secondary, who's going to be throwing the football? Uh, that's a good question. And that's why I wanted to transition quickly for a moment. Of I course, think it's Hooker, Hooker struggled to, uh, to get warm on the sideline. His dad, in an article with uh, Mike Nizilek of the Roanoke Times, said that he was doing well. Braxton Burmeister exited the game. He participated in practice on Sunday. But even if both didn't get hurt, both Burmeister and Hendon Hooker split reps essentially in the game on Saturday against Clemson. Chris Coleman, who's going to be under center for the Hokies? I mean, if if you held a gun to my head and forced me to place a bet, I guess I would say Hendon Hooker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know the status of Burmeister's injury. And See, and, like and the different thing is Burmeister threw the ball for him really well. Very did. In, uh, against Clemson. 10 of 12. 10 of 12. Yeah. Uh, the thing is about Hooker, it's like, you know, what really happened there? And, you know, we've heard that the, they haven't announced this, of course, and they're not going to, but we heard, like, the official diagnosis was something like anxiety combined with the cold led to that chemical reaction, whatever it Whatever was. that physical reaction was. Right, right. So I'm not so much worried about the cold part because the high is going to be in the 50s it's gonna on be Saturday. Nice it, it'll, it'll be chilly that evening, but it's not going to be as cold as it was, you know, for, for, for that Clemson game. It sounds it's, like both- it's, it's the anxiety part that, that concerns me. Um, and if that's unpredictable in nature, I mean, it's not likely it's going to happen again this week. Well, but- well the problem was they didn't have Burmeister available after that happened to Hendon. Right. You know? Right. Uh-huh. And it does sound like both will be available this weekend. That's I guess. The, that, that, again, I'm looking at the tweet from, from Norm Wood, an article he put out, and as well as Andy Bitter saying that it looks like should be available, both of them. The question more is so who's going to start? Would you be surprised to see both quarterbacks split snaps on Saturday? No, I would not be surprised, um, particularly because Burmeister did such a good job against Clemson. Yeah, he and, really you know, did. it's it's – and if you're a football coach, like like throw out the anxiety cold thing by Hooker. The fact of the matter is, you know, he started that game. He went out there on the very first snap and did the exact opposite of what they practiced all week. It's like he didn't pay any attention at all all week or he forgot. Just inexplicably forgot when he got on the field. And what I mean by that is Virginia Tech practice, you know, breaking the huddle very late. Right. And snapping the ball relatively quickly. Right. right. So, and Hooker broke the huddle with like 25 seconds left on the play clock right. on the very first play from scrimmage right yeah. so that's got to drive coaches if crazy. you're a coach and you're like oh my god we just practiced the direct opposite all week and then you didn't do it and, and remember and, coaches play guys that they can trust right right so and the, so, so then you take that guy out of the game for that for that and uh you put in his backup and his backup goes 10 of 12 and the offense is fairly efficient with him in there it gives you pause, to, you know, to think about what should I do. Uh, 
I, I think on balance, you know, Hooker has been Hooker seems like the best option, but he also hasn't been as good the last few weeks as he was in the middle of the season either. So I don't know. I honestly I'll be hundred percent with you. I'm not comfortable with either. Mm. Not hundred so, percent comfortable. So here's a this is neither here nor there, but I randomly ran this stat and this is in our game preview. In the last five games, starting with the Louisville game, the Hokies are one and four, but their quarterbacks have completed 71.4% of their passes, 80 of 112. And and I I calculated that like two or three times because I couldn't believe it. 71.4% of their passes for 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, and two interceptions. That's incredible. Like It just just doesn't seem like it, right? right, Well, Tech... Now, granted, that's I've, only a couple hundred yards a game. I don't think I've ever seen such a limited passing offense put up such good numbers right. at times. From an efficiency from standpoint. From an efficiency standpoint. Um, Brad Cornelson schematically, as far as seeing what his players' strengths and weaknesses are, and here's what we draw up to hide those weaknesses and and take advantage of the strengths, he's really, really, really good. The numbers prove it. Right. And when a guy like Josh Jackson does pretty well at Tech and then flops, horrible flops at somewhere else. Right, right exactly. Uh, and 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 Hooker's so limited in the passing game, but he's able but to put up the numbers are good. Like he was like twelve of twelve against Louisville, ten of twelve against Boston College. Yeah. I mean, just so incredibly efficient. So so that let me jump in here. That's a collective passer rating of one seventy eight point five, which if it was an individual would be number ten in the country right, in right. passing efficiency. Right now, here's the thing. You change offensive coordinators, which one way or another, I think Virginia Tech will have a different offensive coordinator next year. You change offensive coordinators, and maybe the next guy's better at quarterback development, but he's not as good as the stuff Brad Cornelson is is good at. Hiding the weaknesses and leveraging the strengths. Exactly. Um, So... I don't know. It kind of depends on how much money you have to spend. You know, I know for what the Brad Cornelson salary, four hundred fifty thousand, four hundred seventy thousand. Yeah. I just don't think there's a lot of guys on the market that are as good at that price range. So a, right? a a project I can't wait to do is take the head coach's salary, his offensive coordinator salary, and defense coordinator salary. What's the ratio? What's mm-hmm. the percentage? Mm-hmm. Because there are schools where the head coach makes four million. And the coordinators make one to one and a half million. Right. At Virginia Tech, the head coach makes four point three million and the coordinators make four seventy five in the case of Cornelson and six hundred in the case of Justin mm-hmm. Hamilton. Uh, you know, just interesting data point. We'll, we'll do that at some point. Previewing Virginia Tech in Virginia. That'll take place on Saturday at eight o'clock on the ACC network. It's Episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. If you have a question for Will or Chris, be sure to drop it in the YouTube chat. We will get to those at the end of the show. Uh, we I, Every week for the previews, we based a lot of our talking points off of Chris's preview article, which is available right now on TechSideline.com. I'm going to ask a question that you asked in your article, Chris. Is Brennan Armstrong... UVA's quarterback, the most dangerous quarterback Virginia Tech has faced all year. It's possible. I mean, his he's very, very efficient passing the, uh, the football. Let's see. Uh, this is uh, AIS Hokie 05. AIS Hokie 05. His, his, his little write-up using PFF numbers. Um, he's third in the ACC behind only Sam Howell and Trevor Lawrence in, in overall quarterback rating. Um 
his big time throw rate, meaning NFL quality throws, is third in the ACC. His turnover worthy play rate is fifth, fifth lowest. lowest. Uh, excels in the mid range game. Um, he performs much better when he's not being pressured. And we've talked about that all year, how some guys like Jerkovic right. are basically it's, the same. It's, it's, yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, Armstrong's um, a guy, if you pressure him, he's not as good a. But, you know, he's also their leading rusher. So, um, so yeah, let's go over those stats. Uh, uh, let me, let me the rest his design carries. He gets about eight. Seven, 7.4 yards a carry? 7.4 yards per carry on design design quarterback runs. Yeah. Um. So it's just uh, he's very – it's wrong to say he's dynamic because here's another stat. He's near the bottom of the league in terms of missed tackles forced. So right. that means they're doing a really good job of scheming running lanes open for him and blocking for him and things like that. Um, but, you know, on balance between passing and running – it's it's quite possible that he's the best, the or most dangerous that that Tech has faced. So so here year. here are the rushing statistics. So Armstrong is their leading rusher with 111 carries, 529 yards, 4.8 yards a carry, and that includes all of the times he's been sacked. Right. However many that is, I was not able to find specifically how many times he has been sacked. Wayne Talapapa is second with 86 carries. 387 yards, so 142 fewer yards, 4.5 yards a carry. And he's a running back, and he's a guy I've always kind of liked. You, uh, know? you know, he's he's not he's a tough guy. <coughs> Excuse me, but not, he's not particularly dynamic. Not his longest run on the year is 19 yards. Yeah, yeah. Right. So 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 let's compare to Virginia Tech. So again, Armstrong 529 yards. Khalil Herbert, of course, has 1,020 yards. Hendon Hooker has. 620 yards on just nine more carries. So Hooker's averaging 5.2 <coughs> yards a carry, Armstrong 4.8. So UVA just doesn't appear to have much of a rushing game. Doesn't appear to, you know, particularly when compared to Virginia Tech because their top rusher is their quarterback and, and he, he would be third on Virginia Tech's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, I, guess, but, I guess you could say the same thing if you're UVA is can you be balanced on offense? Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of the same issue for them. How do you say his name? Talap. Wayne Talapapa. I was, I was just calling Talapapa. Yep. See, I, I, I can't. I can't actually twist my tongue in the so, way. So Armstrong Arm, cre- completes about sixty percent of his passes, eighteen hundred yards, which is decent. Sixteen touchdowns, nine interceptions. Mm-hmm. Let me add you these know, stats. Yeah, as well. it's, it's weird that he has that many interceptions with that low of a turnover-worthy play rate. So which, That's which, true. which leads you to believe that maybe some of those were deflected passes and things like that. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and their leading receiver, Billy Kemp, has, has 58 <coughs> catches and just one touchdown. So, and, so you start looking through these. Catch. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting. You see, also leads the ACC, Billy Kemp, their number one receiver, leads the ACC in re- uh, receptions a game with just over six. The, so only one touchdown, but he leads the ACC in and, receptions. And he's only – he's like my size, but he actually plays like – two-thirds of his snaps on the outside, too, Yeah, as opposed to the slot. And, and most of his targets think. are short range. It's not like he's going deep or anything I'm telling like that. you, man, like the guy, I think it was Reese Stewart who said it on the board, a slap fight. <laughs> we should. What number podcast is this? 157. We should entitle this TSL podcast number 157. Slap the slap fight. Preview. 
No, well, Ke- it's, too, it's too late. I've already made up the thumbnail, oh, and, it, and, it, and it's taken back the cup. <laughs> uh, we'll get to Armstrong in a minute because I want to talk about the weapons besides um, Armstrong, their quarterback. But first player in UVA program history to put up back-to-back 400 passing game, uh, 400 yard passing games. Did it against Abilene Christian, but then he did it against Boston College, and he's the only player in the FBS this season who has gone over 200 plus passing yards and 45 plus rushing yards six times. In the same game, he's like, he's like death by a thousand cuts. I guess you know it's. I think he's good, but I also think the last two games, you know, Abilene Christian. I don't even Correct. know why that game's getting played at this point in the season, right? All it did is cost him Charles Snowden, yeah. um, who's a, who's a good solid linebacker for him. We'll get to him in a minute. And then in Boston College, I don't know what to think about Boston College because like Hinden Hooker was like ten of twelve and like just insanely efficient passing the ball uh, against them. So I really don't know how good they are. And yet their you know, record's fairly decent. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Last um, I saw, there were maybe so I, don't know. I think Armstrong is good, and you can make a case for him being the most dangerous quarterback Tech has faced. I don't know that he actually is. Obviously, I mean, if I'm picking a quarterback, <laughs> you know, I'm picking Trevor Lawrence, of course. But, I mean, as far as Armstrong leading the team in rushing – and being a very efficient passer, uh, he br- he definitely brings. I think he brings more balance to their offense than Bryce Perkins did last year. So from that standpoint, I think he's the more dangerous player. I also don't think he's as dynamic or a rusher as as Perkins is. Like yeah. Tech isn't going to blitz him, and he's going to break away from the blitz and rush for seventy. Well, Perkins yards was a big time tackle breaker. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so so th- it's it's a little bit different. I do think Armstrong is a better. Much better in the passing game than, than Perkins, in my opinion. So besides Perkins on offense, you go into your game preview and you talk about um, the other skill position players and, and how there's there's not a ton of big-time playmakers, basically what you were saying. Is that fair to say uh, in terms of yeah. the explosive? I think they've slowly improved their wide receiver talent at UVA, but I still don't think it's it's up to snuff. Uh Jana's a solid player, nothing special. Looks like Lavelle but, Davis Jr. is someone to look out. Yes, Davis uh, seems to be. A, be uh, well, a he's one. a true freshman. He's 6'7", 210 pounds. Bronco really seems like he favors bigger players, with the notable exception of Billy Kemp. Like, yeah. He wants a lot of size on his team. Lavelle Davis, I think he's got like 17 catches for the year, but he's averaging about 26 yards a catch. Correct. Um, it's just, just at 6'7", which is – the same height as Bucky Hodges, coincidentally, right? Wasn't he six seven? Was there six, might be six? a video about it. Yeah, it might be <laughs> one or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's their biggest playmaker, I would say. Love Lavelle Davis Jr. It's uh, and just really, really tall. And their starting right tackle is six ten. So you've got a six ten right tackle, a six seven tight end, a six seven wide receiver, uh, and and you know defensively. You've got long-rangey linebackers and th- things like that. Um, so I, I think there's a certain physical style of player the Bronco prefers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think for the, when it comes to recruiting, they, they, they're probably one of those teams that stick to that metric. Like, okay, if you're a defensive end and you're not this height, we're not going to offer you, right? Or, or, or something like that. Something and, like that. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen that argument made before for, like, Let's say, let's say you're you decide you don't want to recruit any cornerbacks under six feet tall, and then you see someone that you really like on film, and he happens to be five nine or five ten, 
I think he's a really, really good football player. So you're like, well, we're, we'll make an exception for him. And then the next year you see somebody just like that. And you're like, well, we'll make an exception for them. Four or five years down the line, you're going to have like four or five cornerbacks on your roster that are five, nine or five, 10. And you've just defeated the entire purpose of having that system in place where you say, we don't take anybody shorter than six feet tall. Right. So it's, it seems to me like it, it, they just seem like they have a, uh, gosh, what's the, what's the word? I'm a template right, right. for, for certain players at uh, certain positions and th- things like that. Um, Looking at the offensive line, Will, according to Pro Football Focus, they're number one in the ACC in pass blocking and number that, four yeah. in run blocking. So a pretty sound offensive line across the board. I mean, it's hard yeah, to get no, around I think, 6'10". I, I, think right? there, yeah, there, I think there are some numbers there about, you know, uh, um, in the running game, how many yards before first contact. And, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of solid. They're, um, but, yeah, they don't have like – they don't have a standout player. Like none of these guys on their offensive line are as good as Christian, Christian Darisaw, Darisaw or Luke Tenuta, to <laughs> right. be honest with you. But Luke. but they are solid across the board. Chris, you want to tell our listeners about the right tackle and his size? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I heard he's 6'10". <clears throat> yeah. Um, 6'10", but, but, you know, there's more to pass blocking than just your offensive line. There's are your running backs filling yes. in, picking up blitzes Correct. and things like that. So that's the uh, again right tackle. I just saw it's you know six four six four six three six ten. You know, so that is a very tall uh, right tackle in Ryan Swoboda. So, anyways, um, last thing I'll add about the offense where he transitioned to the defense. You guys bring up the rushing ability of quarterback Brennan Armstrong. He leads the team in rushing with five hundred twenty nine yards. Talapapa, three hundred eighty seven yards. Their number one running back behind that. So there's not a lot of big numbers like, for their running backs. Their top two running backs. You know, or like 400 yards, com- like behind Khalil Herbert. Like if you combine their numbers, their top two running backs are still far four, behind, far Khalil behind Herbert. Khalil Herbert. So they don't have a lot of uh, dynamic ability at the running back spot for sure. They're not a dynamic football team. No, they're just they get the most out of their ability. Transition to the defensive side of the ball as we continue to pre- preview Virginia episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. UVA has the third ranked. ACC rushing defense, according to Pro Football Focus. And Chris, as you allude to in the preview, they are big and tough up front. Yeah. Um, you know, they're on a three, three-man three line. You know, technically speaking, a 3-4 defense. But there's so much gray area these days about with personnel groupings. And, you know, if Tech goes spread formation, then one of those linebackers comes off the field and a DB yeah. comes in. So yeah. then you're basically like a 3-3-5. Three, three, or, or you or walk up a linebacker, linebacker and right. it's really a four-man line. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think there's any such thing as like a straight-up 3-4 or 4-3 defense anymore. Um, but, you know, their defensive ends are 6-3-280 and 6-2-280. Uh, got a nose tackle who's 6-2-305. Their linebackers, you know, three of the four linebackers are 6'3 or taller, and they all go between 225 and 240. Uh, Their shortest defensive back is six feet tall. You know, like I said, it just seems like a template. Yeah, so you had had Charles Snowden, who is uh, 6'7", 240, and he is is apparently hurt. Oh, you got – did he break his leg against Abilene Christian like early oh in the game? Oh my gosh! I was, I, yeah, it's terrible because he's a he's a really he's a good good player for him, and he actually and, and fits he's the, a senior. And, yeah, I forget one, and he's one of their proto prototype guys. Six seven two forty. Yeah, and, yeah. And 
Now, um, the thing I don't know is their their current outside linebackers are Noah Taylor and and Matt G A H M Gam. I don't know which one of those guys was playing opposite Snowden when Snowden was playing. If yeah, it, but you know they're both seniors though. So, so if it, it was Taylor, if it was Taylor, then you had him at six five on one side and Snowden at six seven on the other, and you can walk either one of those guys up. Yeah, and they can they can function as as a as a defensive end. Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that, that was a big loss because Snowden really kind of felt like the heart and soul of that defense. Well, I've so talked that, about him all the time. That's about what happens when you recruit to a template. How how effective he is against spread offenses, you know, he's he's got he's a big tall guy with long arms and he can get in the passing lanes mm-hmm. and he's done that to Virginia Tech and he's done that to everybody. Yeah. Um this Noah Taylor, you know, I was I was watching him when he had the long interception return for a touchdown against uh against BC? Uh, Louisville. Louisville. Uh, Louisville was driving the first drive of the game, and they were about to score a touchdown, and threw it right to him, and he took it all the way back for a touchdown. It was a fourteen point swing, basically, and he was just just so long, six yeah. five, two twenty five, um, and you know when you recruit to a certain template and and you lose a Snowden, well, you know, guess what? His backup is is a long lengthy guy you know too maybe not six seven like snowden is i mean that's hard to replicate with every single one of your players yeah but you know you don't go from six seven to five ten right right yeah. exactly um a couple of other numbers uh from according to pro football focus so overall uva's defense number six in the conference but ranked 14th in coverage you talked about it earlier they have a 49.8 coverage grade only team below a 50. And Tech's Virginia, coverage grade is 66.2, which is Right, eight. Virginia Tech is a 66.2. I mean, so, yeah, so and to put that in uh, in the context, you know, you probably think Virginia Tech's coverage has been terrible this year, and certainly at times that it, ha- it has. Still ranks eighth out of 14 teams in the ACC. It's almost like 20 points higher in the grades than UVA's is. I mean, UVA's has been an absolute disaster at times. Um, so, and so they've 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 compensated for that by blitzing, from what I understand. Uh, probably, yeah. They're third in they're third in pass rush. So, like, if you if you blitz the quarterback and you get a sack, you know it's successful defensive play, right? But PFF grades everybody on every play. So if they see that that quarterback's getting burned, even if it's a sack, that quarterback's going to get a negative play. Okay, right. That, that that that's how corn, football corn coaches back. That, 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 I mean PFF grades like football coaches do like no football coach no cornerbacks coach in the world is going to say tell his cornerback uh yeah you got burned but no big deal cuz we got a sack he's right get, you got the all 22 film that shows the whole right. field he's going to get a negative grade from his coach and while right? the wide receivers running past the corner and Charles Snowden's making a sack you still get a negative in the coverage. Yeah, grade, yeah, because say. not every Snowden's got not, not going to make that sack every time, right? When right. he doesn't, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So, big thing for Virginia Tech's offense this week: protect the quarterback too. And because if if you do protect him, you should have some opportunity to make to generate some big plays in the passing game. All right, final question before we get the picks: What unit scares should scare Virginia Tech more? Virginia's offense or Virginia's defense? I would say Virginia's offense mm-hmm. because because of uh, I said death by a thousand tiny cuts earlier in the podcast and and I remember the 2005 Miami game where you know it was 27-7 at one point it was 27 nothing I think 
But one of the things I remember about that game, I remember writing this up in my um, in my Monday article following that 2005. Did I say 2007? Oh, God. You I said 2005. This is a 2005 Miami game. I can't remember who their quarterback was. But if they needed seven yards on third down, he got eight. If they <laughs> yeah, needed 12, he got 13. If they needed four, he got five. He was just barely either running or throwing. Wright? I think it was Kyle Wright. They were just barely picking up first downs. And that's kind of the way I see Brennan Armstrong as a guy just just you think you got him and you don't and they've got another set of downs. And and that's what worries me is is nobody's talking about Brennan Armstrong. And he's a third at least in terms of grades. I don't I'm not talking about passing efficiency. In terms of grades, he's a third best quarterback in the ACC and nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so a guy like that can be really frustrating. It was Kyle Wright, by the way. Okay, good. The quarterback. So good job, Chris. Um, hey, before we get to predictions, I was uh, talking with Damian Salas yesterday, and uh, he told me this interesting stat about Virginia Tech and UVA. I uh, just figured I'd throw it out there because it's very interesting. So there's only been 22 times where Virginia Tech and UVA men's basketball have played at least one game each prior to the football game between the two schools. Saturday will be the first time Virginia Tech men's basketball has a better record than UVA men's basketball, and UVA football has a better record than Virginia Tech football. (laughs) UVA had a better football record in 2018, but both basketball teams were unbeaten. Five of the 22 times the football records were tied. How about that? So... Very interesting stat. I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Going into so play. it's the first time at the football meeting that Tech's basketball team has had a better record. Saturday will be the first time Virginia Tech men's basketball has had a better record than UVA men's basketball, and what? UVA football has had a better record than Virginia Tech football. Yeah, it's wild. Don't don't, don't each of the basketball teams have one loss, or did UVA lose a second? I believe they've lost twice. Wow, I don't know. Huh. I'll trust Damian though. Yeah, yeah I'm we, trusting Damian. We, we we should have a. Uh, we should have a Damien trivia every week. Well, that a kind Travian of thing, fact. yeah. yeah. Uh, a a, a Damien fact every week yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. He's got some good resources. I and, thought that would be fun to, to throw yeah. in just well, before. Bill Ross got a handful of students that just come up with stuff like that all the time. David Cunningham and Shelton Moss and guys like that. They're always dishing these obscure stats that are interesting. Yeah, like no pressure, Damien, but every single podcast we're going to need something really, That's really right. interesting. So uh, I, did I tell the story about being on Rick Watson's show and, and doing the doing the trivia question yeah. on, on the last podcast? Well, you did, yes. Trivia question. So I won't repeat it. Okay, now time to transition into picks. We have a tweet from uh, Richie Gallimore who tweets at me. UVA 5-1 and one at home, 0-3 oh on the road. Haven't played a road game in seven weeks. Wow couple of other stats going into this game. Cavaliers are trying to win consecutive Commonwealth Cups for the first time since 1998, the last time the Cavaliers won in Blacksburg. There's a lot riding on this game. UVA has a chance to win five games in a row for the first time since 2007. Virginia Tech in jeopardy of losing five in a row for the first time since 1990. When's the last time Tech won a home game? Boston College? Where they lost three or four home games in a row? Something like that? Louisville was a road game? Yeah. Yeah. Chris Coleman. Does Virginia Tech get the Commonwealth Cup back this weekend? Two years ago, I thought UVA was clearly the better team. And last year, I thought Virginia Tech should have won the game. Right. And the opposite happened each year. This year, I think UVA is better. Not by a lot, but but just a little bit better. Uh, you know, you look at the records, you know, UVA got off to a 1-4 and four start. They're playing better recently. 
Uh, Tech, it's been the other way around. Look, everybody's schedule's different. If Tech had played Abilene Christian late in the season, or maybe even Boston College instead of Pitt, which is a horrible matchup late in the season, then you know maybe it's opposite and we don't feel so bad about it. But I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between the two teams. I, I do think in terms of morale right now, you know, I think UVA probably holds the edge. Um, if the trend continues of the team that shouldn't win actually wins, I think that means Virginia Tech would win this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I see that happen yeah. in three years in a row. Um, I'd like to pick it, but uh, being an emotional pick on my part. Um, so I, I think UVA squeezes it out. Touchdown game, decided late, 31-24, I'll call it. So let's see. Uh, uh, I picked the same score, but I picked the Hokies to win. And let's see what my justification for that is. Um, <laughs> I believe it was uh, Tech's due to play a good oh, game. Oh, no, right? here's my justification. I just can't bring myself to pick Virginia to win. <laughs> can't do it. Can't this do is it. a pretty even matchup. I'm reading from our game preview. I'm pinning my hopes on Virginia Tech. I, I drew the analogy earlier in, in my section of the preview. If you picture a Hemi V8, Tech's operated on anywhere from two or three to six or seven cylinders at any given point. They've never really operated on all eight cylinders at once. So I just can't pick UVA to win, and that's no disparagement of Chris or anything like that. And I'm just I'm pinning my hopes on Tech acting more like the full V8 instead of just having a few dead cylinders. So 31-24 Hokies for me. Okay, so same score. Yeah. Just and teams. he doesn't read my sections before making – or he doesn't read my prediction before making – I don't read picks, his prediction. So. I read the whole preview, then I write my own thing up, then I come back. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's seems like – we almost – we pick very identical scores every week. And, and most of the time, if Chris picks the Hokies to lose and I pick them to win, two-thirds of the time he's right. Or No, well, it's, it's – uh, it's, I think it's when we – our opinions are different, whether – whether we pick them to well, – like, the, well, like I picked Tech to beat Pitt. Oh, my God, wasn't I an idiot? Well, that's unusual. Right. He picked Tech to beat Pitt. I picked Pitt to beat Tech, right. and I was right. That right. That's kind of unusual. But specifically when I go with my heart and pick Tech to win and Chris goes with his brain and picks Tech to lose, more often than not, he's right. Especially like in the year of COVID, I'm kind of like the 10-man, man. I don't have much heart <laughs> towards this. So I'm going to call it like I see it. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I think Tech certainly could win the game, but like, I don't. Their Tech is favored again, right? Two and a half points. When is the last time Tech covered a spread? Uh, I think they have failed to cover the spread the last four games or something like that. Four? Although Miami. Miami no, was Tech, not... Tech was favored against Miami. Right. Correct. Yeah, which means they failed. Right. To, could they were? They were favored against Miami. Right. That's nuts. So to me, it's just like, when is Las Vegas going to? Wise up. It wise up, right? Um, so I don't know. Could go either way. I, I hope Tech wins because I want to see, even if, even if just for a day or two, I want to see the fan base happy again. And if it is Fuente's last game at Virginia Tech, you know, I would like him to go out with the feeling of, you know, at least I got the cut back in my last game, right? Because however good or bad a job he's done overall, you know, he's a really hardworking dude. He's never. There's no scandals, no probation. One of the cleanest coaches in the country, from what I understand, sure. in terms of recruiting. So, hope he goes out well if this is indeed his last game. It, it, it's similar to the Mike London situation at UVA, although London was beloved. 
they just knew they had to let him go. Right. Fuente is not beloved. You know, he, he's, he's a much better coach, but he's not beloved. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah. You know? And if Tech's able to win, that gives incredible, um, you know, uh, a lot of uh, momentum going into the offseason. So, yeah. okay, let's transition over to our YouTube live questions. We've got a lot of questions today. I bet we do. Let's go ahead. Hey, and I miss run. Malcolm's disembodied head, man. I did too. Malcolm, can you throw yourself up here, please? While, while, while Evan asked the question. Yes. Just so yeah, there he is. <laughs> See, I, all you have to do is push a button. You set up. Gosh, man, he's the best producer in the land. Okay, here we go. Uh, Except for when he kicks the HDMI cables. <laughs> Thomas Hole, uh, is Virginia Tech going to get a bowl game? I got, I got no idea. I don't know. Like BC announced today that they're not going to a bowl, even if they get invited to one. Huh? Their players are just ready to. Get it over. With, yeah, like who wants um, a swab stuck up their nose? Uh, it's it's one of those. It's going to be one of those things. Like like Jared Hewitt earlier this week was was talking about. Oh, if we get a bowl invite, we're going. There's no way we're not going. So Hewitt like wants to play in a bowl game. I'm guessing there's a lot of t- players on that team that are just ready to go home for the holidays once a UVA game's over with. So it's one of those things where you might end up in a bowl game if you beat UVA. How ready are you going to be to play it? It's the same thing for the other team, too. Right. I mean, yeah. the other team Tech is facing, maybe they'll take it seriously. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Uh, I'm not worried about the ball streak. The ball streak, in my opinion, was a bit of an albatross for our program. Yeah, Chris and is not a fan. Not, yeah, not, and not and a I'm fan not a fan days. because I don't think it means jack squat in recruiting. Right. They plaster it all over the media guide. They plaster it all over their social media. Recruits pick a school based on facilities, fit, how they fit into the team, whether they feel like it's home, uniforms. I'm not kidding I mean, you, uniforms. I mean, they, they don't sit there and go, I'm going there because the, they go to a bowl these game. These five-star and four-star recruits, especially these days, are like, well, I'm going to be there for three years, and then I'll opt out of the bowl game to protect my NFL draft status. So they don't care about the bowl game. No. It used, right. to be, used to be a fun trip and you got a swag bag, but now I just don't think recruits care. No. Trey then asks, will a team win the Commonwealth Cup on Saturday or one team lose it like in 2018? <laughs> That's a fair, fair question. Oh, I don't know. That catch Dalton Keene made, that, that, yeah, that, that kind of looked mean, like somebody winning. Uh, yeah, you know, Tech made a couple of big-time plays in that game. Yeah. In the Trey past Turner. Game. Trey, Turner uh, Trey Turner and Dalton Keene. Dalton Keene was on fourth down, right? That was yes. a fourth down play. Scare money don't make right. money. Exactly. That's what the famous yeah. quote came from. Yeah. Uh, well, and <laughs> thank you, Ryan and, Willis. And, you know, and Tech did get a couple, a couple of lucky bounces, like the fumble which they recovered in the end zone. Yes, yeah. the and, Stephen and, Peoples fumble. Yes, what and, an amazing play! Exactly. And then obviously the Perkins fumble in overtime. So it was a mixture of Tech making some plays and, and UVA yeah. getting lucky. I would little, say it's more likely that somebody's going to lose the game. I this would. Year. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Fernando asks, "How many yards do you see Herbert rushing for? And do you think Virginia Tech will run a similar game plan as last week, or more of a hurry up offense against their defense? Uh, I, I think they'll run their regular offense, yeah. and I think Herbert will get about 130 yards. I just I, I feel I, good about him. I don't know I, why." I, I think he's going over 100, and I do think uh, – I don't think it's going to be like some kind of special like game plan as far as stay in the huddle or no, nothing or, like you know, things like that. I think it'll look normal. I just week. thought Herbert looked so good against Clemson. Mm-hmm. He, lo- he looked healthy 100%, yeah, especially considering the competition. Yeah. Uh, Tom Lester, when I was asking for the words that you guys were giving about how you think the fan base feels, Tom says, not apathetic at all, not smug either. Big game still for this almost old guard hockey. So – there's well, one Tom's a good fan. Uh, Tom also writes, 
can Virginia Tech play physical football like Penn State plays basketball? So, uh, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning Brock of the podcast. Hoffman can. Um, let's see here. Hey, by the way, let's go on that tangent a little bit. Brock Hoffman in his first Commonwealth Cup game. Oh, boy. That would be interesting. Uh, we'll see Especially if, uh, after we'll see last if he week. tries to get baited. Yeah. You know, see if any of those UVA guys try to bait him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't blame him if they did. It's a rivalry game. We're going to try and get through everybody's questions. We'll go a little bit more rapid fire. Assuming Hooker gets the start on Saturday, how quick will Coach Justin Fuente be with the hook to get Burmeister in there in the event of a fumble or a pick? I, well, think, they'll, was, I think they'll rotate both of them. He was pretty quick to to give him the hook last week, wasn't he? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it would necessarily be because of a fumble or because of an interception. I mean, those things happen sometimes. But if Hooker came out there and like forgets about the game plan again, <laughs> then, then all he's going to be, be out there just like that. I, I, right? th- I think he's going to rotate him anyway. I think the big reason, you know, I don't know exactly when the broken toe incident occurred, but, you know, I remember thinking at some point in the middle of the season, boy, he gave up on Braxton Burmeister. Yeah. When yeah. he said he was going to rotate him basically all right. year. That question was from Hokie94CPA. Question from Billy Parvidum. Do we ha- do we have recency bias when talking about Beamer plus Fuente? Last few years of Coach Beamer, we had to beat UVA to make bowls, and we had bad losses. Are we really that much worse now than in the last years of Coach Beamer? We're, we're better in some ways and worse in some ways, and, and but we're kind of the same, uh, I would say. I'm very worried about recruiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah well... I was worried about recruiting then. But I wasn't very worried about it. Uh, I was because if it, if the Beamer era had gone on any longer, like that, that 2016 class was rough. For well, that was a, that 2016 class is one of the, one of the reasons there were some good players in it, but there was hardly any depth at all. Right. So that was one of the reasons it's like, okay, those 2014, 2013, 2015 recruits were pretty good. Once they all cycled out of the program in 2017, and at that point, Justin Fuente's oldest recruits that he personally recruited were either true sophomores or redshirt freshmen. Yeah. And the guys older than them were from that 2016 class. And that was and just. That, and that's when 2018. Or, happened. That's when 2018 happened, right? Yeah. So you had upperclassmen that weren't very talented, and behind them, just a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, yeah. or in this case, a bunch of freshmen and sophomores actually starting. So. I was worried about recruiting then, like if the Beamer era had gone on any longer, like it, it was just going to be impossible to get players as far as that situation was going. But I mean, we saw it with Bud Foster, man. That's a, I mean, how could we recruit anybody on defense on the defensive side of the ball for the last year or two with the Bud Foster era? Yeah. When you're just asking the question the entire time, when is he going to retire? He's only got one year left on his contract. So we've done that to ourselves twice now in a four year span. Right. And it's disappointing, but that's one of the reasons we're in the situations that that we are. And there's a lot here that I think Justin Fuente deserves criticism for as far as like the culture buy-in aspect of it. But there were some talent issues that were caused by other things that were out of his control. Do, do we suffer from recency bias? Hmm. Uh it's it's possible. I think we always do as we, human beings. Uh, yeah, we we yeah. definitely do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God, it was six years ago, when, right? Zero to zero. Yeah. I mean, we've had some rough ones, but that was <laughs> that was pretty rough, <laughs> right? So, uh, 
2015, we gained 100 yards of offense against Pitt in that I, game I, that year. Part of me wants to go back and watch that game because I, I can't even imagine what that really? looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, on speed, oh, speed watching. Oh, gosh, yeah. So uh, How do you do that yes, 100 yards? There is a recency bias. And the bottom line is – what time did that 2005 Miami game start? Probably 7.30 or 8. Let's say it started It was night, it was night game. So this program has been in a steady decline ever since the moment Virginia Tech took the field in that Miami game in 2005. Now, the decline accelerated, you know, eight, nine on. years ago, something like that. But we were started the slide that night when we lost yet another big game that everybody was watching and looked bad doing it. Well, I think that's when in-state recruiting, which we, we still got some good players after that, David Wilson, Logan, Tom, yeah. Logan Thomas, guys like that. But Well, that was when uh, – that was the year, if you recall, Beamer made all the offensive staff changes after, after the season. And we Tech, was, Tech only signed one top ten player in the state that year. And there was worry that, oh, my gosh, this is a con- this is going to continue. So, you know, he got rid of Pierman. Rogers left on his own to go to the NFL. Whammy left. Uh, and then you replace Pierman with, like, Kurt Newsom, right? Uh, we still had an opportunity at that point. We were a big enough name to where I think we can – Beamer could have – Beamer could have wrangled as much money as he wanted to probably at that point. At that point in time, yeah. Yeah, so I think Tech could have really gone out and got some credible coaches that offseason. And they they did on defense with Torian Gray. But other than that, offense, they did not. And that's really when the program began its decline right there is the the lack of – the, they just didn't replace – they replaced Tony Ball with Kevin Sherman. And Sherman's not a bad coach, but he's not Tony Ball. And they replaced Kevin Rogers with Mike O'Kane, who came out of retirement to take the job and right. was not interested in recruiting. And mm. the, uh, Danny Pierman coaches at Clemson now, for goodness sake. And he was replaced by Kurt Newsom, who's the head coach at Emory, Emory & Henry right, now. Right. So we downgraded our coaching staff after that season and that was the beginning of a slow decline we survived for a while based on reputation well and and you had some really good players like Tyrod and Ryan Williams and David Wilson right. and Logan Thomas that really kept things going right let me jump in real quick I want to I want to get one more sort of a rapid fire and we can let this go for about 3 to 4 minutes this is from Jonathan Larrick uh, all caps message <laughs> and then another message that's not all caps why is he yelling first one this team doesn't deserve to go to a bowl game. A bowl game should be the last thing on any Hokies fan mind. Then he goes lowercase. goes, mostly because this is what is wrong with us, worrying about a bowl streak. Why? It means nothing. So far from being relevant in big-time football, it isn't even funny. That's his opinion. But I'm curious. Let me take what he just said and pose this question to you guys. Do fans put too much stock into the bowl streak? I I don't know if fans do or not. I, I don't really talk to fans about bowl games um i i dislike the whole bowl game thing not the streak but i but i hate the importance that that bowl games take on because they're a crap shoot some teams buy in some don't there's lots of coaches moving around players yeah. opting out now the media makes decisions on where to rank teams the following year based in part on whether or not they won their bowl game that's just that's stupid, stupid. <laughs> so i think that stuff is is stupid now, to me, the, the one underlying thing about bowl games that still makes them something you want to do is the extra practice time. If the players are bought in. 
even if they're not bought in, the extra play practice time is good, you know, um, and they, they are of value from that standpoint. Other than that, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I think during that period of decline that I was just talking about, you know, Tech kept winning 10 games. They kept beating UVA and they kept going to bowl games. So that blinded a lot of us, a lot of the fan base, even the coaches, into thinking, though, there was nothing wrong with the program, right? Well, let's face it, you know, UVA was incompetent. At some point, they were going to hire a good football coach, right? And at some point, Clemson was going to start doing better than 7-5 and five and actually use all their resources. You know? At some point, Florida State Florida was going State to was, get was, over Bobby Bowden. Point, exactly, right, right. So there were, there were, we did a lot of things well, don't get me wrong, but our opponents were not doing things well. We were not, they were not operating at max efficiency. And we took advantage of that. And we used the ball streak. We used the UVA streak. We used the 10 win streak as an excuse not to do things to make ourselves better, whether that's fundraising, whether that's hiring better offensive coaches, whatever. Um, that's why I call those things albatrosses, because they happen, so we use them as a crutch to say there's nothing wrong with us. Right. Sometimes I think for people to shake, get shaken into reality, they need to get punched in the mouth. And so anybody holding on to the ball streak is proof that there, we don't need to make changes in the program. If it <laughs> takes losing the ball streak to shake people awake and and – Realize that some changes need to be made, not just with the head football coach, but a lot of things in the way Virginia Tech operates. Then, by God, let, let's not go to one for once. Let, let's let's not let that thing weigh us down and be uh, and, and hold us back from making key changes that this program needs. Well, it's the old saying: "Good is the enemy of great." A couple of comments. Yep. Um, uh, about the bowl, people are chiming in right now. Eric Fisher says the bowl streak is a big thing because right now we don't have a lot to hang our hat on at the moment. Hoagie for life. Bowl games are pointless. There's no reason for them. Andrew Syback, the bowl game only matters to fans to the extent that we aren't a yearly ACC champ contender, so it's better than nothing. Doesn't matter to me, though. Uh, Anthony Price points out the financial benefits to a bowl game. And Jonathan Larrick mm. writes and says, Amen, Chris, who asked the, the question to begin with. The, so the, there there, you go. There's no financial benefits to a bowl game anymore because uh, it used to be in the Big East day, whatever you bowl you went to. Like if you went to an Alliance Bowl, you, the school, got the $7 million from that. Now all ACC bowl money is put into a pot and split evenly amongst the team. So it doesn't matter whether Virginia Tech goes to the Sugar Bowl or they go to the Military Bowl. They're getting the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what they do yeah. is all the revenue is thrown into one pot and then from that pot, the expenses of each of the teams are paid. Yeah. So there is no financial there, advantage no, to it. There's no bo- you can actually lose money on a bowl game this year, or some years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just don't see the, the benefits to them anymore. And let me point out here that Virginia Tech has the longest bowl streak in the country, right? Which means they have a longer years. bowl streak than Alabama. And they have a longer ball streak than Clemson. And they have a longer ball streak than Ohio State. Right? So. You don't even need to keep talking. So what in the heck does a ball streak actually mean? Right. That's why I love the comments on YouTube because nothing I can prepare for quite gets the conversation going like this. So thank you, everybody. What a really good uh, crop of questions. And uh, I wish we had more time. We're coming up on 90 minutes. I I joke with Will and Chris about this. 
we used to start the podcast about 40 minutes, 60 minutes, and then I'd always be, okay, hour 10, and now I'm like, hour 20 is normal. I'm like, an hour and a half is a long time. I was going to so, stop you around the 2.40 mark, because Tottenham plays at 3. Yes. But, you there know, you go. It's 2.27 right now. Are, who, who does Tottenham play? Oh, they play uh, Royal Antwerp for your top of the Europa League uh, group today. Fantastic. Well, uh, look, great podcast today. Looking forward to our podcast on Monday. We will be back. Um, on Monday morning, episode 158 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, recapping the Commonwealth clash between Virginia Tech and Virginia with a cup on the line. Chris Coleman, uh, what's the rest of the week look like? And if people want to follow along TSL during the game on Saturday, how can they do so? Oh, gosh. The, we'll have the Q&A as normal tomorrow. Corey will have a running back article. I believe Corey is talking to, Who you say Danny, talking to? Danny Cole about the 2011 game yeah and that game when was both teams that, are ranked right oh they, it was matchup. for the coastal division title and tech went up there and beat them 38 to nothing it yeah was, it was it was when logan thomas was just running over people like crazy by the way congratulations to logan thomas yeah and yeah what a I, big day for him and i don't think mo- a lot of fans got my tweet the other day i tweeted <laughs> is logan thomas the best tight end in virginia tech history after he caught nine passes for 198 yards. yards yeah so hmm. it was a joke it was a joke but but you know uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, big day for Law Logan Thomas, and he actually called a pass over Terrell Edmonds, so that was kind of cool. And the <laughs> yeah. uh, Washington well, football team went over Pittsburgh. Well, I, you know, I tweeted Logan, out the, well, Logan Thomas is six six, buddy. Right? He's, yeah. he's not six seven like Bucky Hodge, <laughs> but he's six six. Um, I tweeted out the, the the NFL put out a highlight uh, YouTube highlight video of just Logan Thomas catches. So I tweeted it out. So go through my feed. Um, you are at Will Stewart TSL at Will Stewart TSL at, at Chris Coleman TSL. There you yeah. go at Tech Sidelines the. Uh, the home spot too on Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, great podcast today. Looking forward to the game on Saturday night, eight o'clock kick ACC network. We'll have coverage on techsideline.com and on our social media feeds. Will Chris, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? We have so. uh, all, uh, of the, all of the furniture for the new office has been delivered and set up. So that's an ongoing process. We're going to, I'm going to put lighting in the furniture. I got to go purchase some chairs, get computers delivered and installed. So and that's going to be happening throughout Christmas break and, and early next year. I, and I, w- I want to point out that we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with the Justin Fuente situation. Right. No clue what's going to happen next week. Right. Signing day is next Wednesday. So I normally like spend like Monday and Tuesday before signing day, writing up a signing day column about my thoughts on the class and everything like that. Well, you know, what if I spend all day writing that article and then Fuente gets fired and none of those guys sign? So I don't even know what signing day coverage is going to look like. We're going to we're going to be trailing the curve here. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> can't so be patient with us to a certain extent because we have no idea what's going to happen. We just got to wing it this year. Right. Monday will be a football dedicated podcast. Basketball does not play again. Men's basketball Tuesday. Women's basketball undefeated opens up ACC play tonight against Pittsburgh. All right, that'll do it for us. Episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the like and subscribe button before we sign off. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, he is the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Thanks so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 157 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you Monday.